0: are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we are continuing looking at the book of Leviticus, and so I invite you to turn to Leviticus chapter 16. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 16, our second uh, our second sermon in this great chapter on the day of atonement, this book as a whole, to reorient us because it has been a few weeks. This book as a whole is all about approaching God and communing with God. God had come and entered the tabernacle that Moses had, had, had built according to God's directions but the people couldn't enter. Remember that at the end of Exodus, God's glory was there in a cloud and the people could not enter for fear of their life. Our sin has created this chasm between us and God. We cannot approach him, but God has provided means that we can come and dwell with him. And we saw it the last time chapter 16 of Leviticus is the, the literary center of Leviticus. Indeed, it's the literary center of the first five books of the Bible. Leviticus being the middle book of these first five. And this is the, the middle subject in this wonderful book. And so there's a central uh, importance here to this chapter. Indeed, it is the high holy day for Israel, this great celebration of God's atonement of his people Let's now turn to God's word and hear the reading of God's word. Last time we read the first half of the chapter, and this evening we'll read Leviticus 16, beginning in verse 20 through the end of the chapter. So hear now the word of the, of the Lord from Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 20. And when the priest has made an end of atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterwards, he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever, that that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever." And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Well, as we said moments ago, this day of atonement was the high holy day for the Old Testament people. Under the law, this was to be an annual celebration, and it was the pinnacle of the demonstration of God's grace for his people, providing this substitutionary atonement, and an atonement a sacrifice on behalf of the people. This serves as the culmination of all that has come before in the book. All the sacrifices from, from the beginning of the book we see echoed here. We see it coming to its high point. We saw the blood of these sacrifices was sprinkled in various parts of the tabernacle and later the temple to cleanse it because the sin of the people of Israel was encroaching upon God's dwelling place, as it were. And so this purging needed to happen annually of of the place, of the the physical location where God symbolically dwelled with his people. And of course, the people themselves needed to be forgiven. Their sin needed to be atoned for. And so today, we're focusing on these two goats. What's happening with these two goats? And the one that's, that's new that we haven't spoken of before is this one that's commonly called the scapegoat. So we'll consider these things today and we'll see Using some theological words that we'll unpack. A sinner is justified by propitiation and expiation. So, some big words that we'll look through, but first we'll consider a, a sinner being justified. And our second point is propitiation, and third is expiation. So, these will be our points this evening as we go through. So, first, let's consider the setting for this a sinner being justified. This truth is being conveyed through this ceremony. And this this ceremony is telling us something that is true about every single person because we were all born in sin, that we are sinners. Sin is essentially rebellion against God. It's a failure to love him and to obey him. And I trust you were at adult Sunday school this morning and you know all about that. But we violate his commandments either by affirmatively violating a commandment, a a sin of commission to commit a sin, we also violate God's law by omission, by not fulfilling an obligation that is ours, by not adequately loving our neighbor. So sin is in the form of commission and omission. And this book is, is, is set up to help us answer the question, how can these sinful people, these rebellious people who've sinned so greatly, how can they still dwell with God? How can we enter the tabernacle to dwell in the midst of God's glory cloud of his presence? And theologically, we call this, a sinner being able to enter God's presence, we call this justification, to be justified, to be declared righteous so that we can commune with God. And the Day of Atonement is the culmination of this idea Leviticus, showing us how you may be justified to enter God's presence. This is the exclamation point of all that's come so far in the first half of this book. God provides a sacrifice and through the death of another, he justifies his people. He can commune with them. And the sacrifices bear this out over and over. And we see words like atonement that have been used throughout this book and particularly in this chapter, particularly in the last paragraph that we read. Atonement is being used over and over and over. God and man now living at one. That's literally where the English etymology comes from. At oneness, atonement. God and man being able to dwell together. Words like forgiven, words like cleansed throughout this book show us this reality of being justified, coming into God's presence as formerly counted as sinful people. We'll come to this more, but the ceremony that we're looking at is two goats. A ceremony of these two goats. And we saw last time when we read back in verse 5, I'll read it, and he, the priest, shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering. So these goats come from the congregation for a sin offering. I think it's interesting that they come from the people. This is not just a deliverance from on high, but these goats without blemish came from among the people themselves to atone for them. And it's considered a single sacrifice, even though each goat is going to have its own right done to it. It's considered a single sacrifice. It's interesting. It says for a sin offering, or as we've talked about several times, maybe better to call this a purification offering. So a single sacrifice with these two goats. Each goat kind of is painting half of this whole picture of what it means to be purified, to be justified before God. And then and we, would, we read in verse 7 and 8 last time that the priests were ordered to cast lots, to randomly select one of these, or to randomly select these goats to have separate ends. I think this also further emphasizes the, the solitary nature of the sacrifice. It's not people making the decision. This is God making the decision which goat is going to exemplify each part of the rite. One goat is for the Lord, we read in verse 10. And the other is to be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So we'll look at these two goats and what they represent, what they mean for us. God is depicting for us grace through these goats, through these two animals. The people aren't good enough to come into God's presence. They have no hope but God. This is all of God. God provides this way of entering communion with him. He provides this way. He provides the sacrifice and he justifies them by his grace. So let's first look at the goat that is set apart for the Lord. And this is propitiation. The goat set apart for the Lord, it was offered as a traditional purification offering. There's nothing new here in the directions that God gave Moses and Aaron. It was to be a traditional purification offering. But this purification offering, it describes uh, in, in a visual way the idea, the theological idea of propitiation. Michael Horton says this, propitiation refers to the necessity that God's justice be satisfied. Because God is holy and righteous, he cannot overlook transgression. So propitiation is the fact that God is just, there has been a sin that has occurred and God's justice requires some kind of punishment for this sin. Not just some kind of, it requires an exact punishment for this sin, a particular punishment for sin. God is holy and righteous. It's not like he's angry or bloodthirsty or looking for someone to get in revenge. No, this is because he is so holy, any sin is an offense to him. And so propitiation shows us God is holy and his justice must be satisfied. We sing a song often, In Christ Alone, and it very concisely states the doctrine of propitiation for us. This is verse two, In Christ Alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. And here it is, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. That's the key phrase, the wrath of God being satisfied. The righteous indignation of the creator being satisfied. Now that is normally satisfied through judgment of the offender, right? And that is why we believe scripture teaches the doctrine of hell and just and judgment. Because the right Consequence for our sin is eternal judgment in hell. But God is providing another way that sin would be propitiated, that God's wrath would be satisfied. And here we see the goat, the goat that was put up for this purification offering to purify the congregation of Israel. And he has to also used to, to purify the, the physical location of the tabernacle and the holy of holies. But it shows us that God cannot simply overlook sin. His righteousness demands that there is justice. And so the goat that was the lot fell upon him for the Lord, he was to be slain. This goat's blood was to purify the people of Israel by assuaging God's wrath, satisfying his wrath. And so we see this wonderful, beautiful picture. We've seen over and over through these sacrifices, this wonderful picture of the goat dying on behalf of the people of Israel. But there's, at the same time of this image of propitiation, something else is going on. And so let's look at our third point, expiation, this second goat. This is the goat that is to be, quote, sent away into the wilderness of Azazel. And this is to demonstrate the expiation of the sins of Israel. Expiation, again, is another one of these theological terms, but it simply means to remove sins, to take away sins from the one who has committed it. There's a couple of steps here as we'll see this expiation becoming clear. A couple of steps, beginning in verse 21 and 22, we see this fleshed out. There's a laying on of hands by the priests. Aaron was to lay his hands on this goat that was to be sent into Azazel. He lays his hands. He puts his hands, and and, and by putting his hands on them, it's it's demonstrating this idea of imputation. The sins of the people are imputed, are counted to this goat. And we see in verse 21, and the priest shall put the sins on the head of the goat, and the goat shall bear, in, in verse 22, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself. So, this hand laying ceremony was the sins of the people of Israel being imputed to this goat. And this is underscored by the command to confess the sins of Israel. Aaron was to confess and name particular sins of God's people over this goat, naming them individually, specifically for everyone to hear. And it's interesting, verse 23, there's three words that are used to describe this. I don't believe verse 23 is the correct uh, reference here, but somewhere in here, there's three words that are used to describe this. Iniquities, transgressions, and sins. Iniquities, transgressions, and sins. All of these words are emphasizing the totality of what is to be confessed. And some commentators will say, oh, each word emphasizes something slightly different and one's more social sins, one's more individual sins, and maybe that's the case. But the impact is every sin is to be confessed. Everything the people of Israel have done is to be confessed onto this goat and named publicly as he lays his hands upon the goat, imputing all of these sins to the goat. And then this goat is to be sent into the wilderness. This word Azazel is interesting. It's used in verse 8, 10, and 26. And if you read the King James Version, you won't see the word Azazel, which is just an English rendering of the Hebrew word. You'll see it translated scapegoat. That's the traditional rendering of this term. And this is where we get the idea of a scapegoat in common terminology. Oh, he's being the scapegoat for, for the problem that went wrong in the office. And we use this term all the time because of this. Because this is the goat that took away the sins. He was, as it were, blamed for all the sins of Israel. So what does this word Azazel mean? There's a couple different options. Uh, some say it's the name of a demon who lives in the wilderness. Uh, some say it's a rare Hebrew word that means complete destruction. Some uh, say it's, it's the name of a place, a place of rocky pre, a, a rocky precipice. Or some in the traditional view is this, it's it's, the goat itself is called kind of a sent away goat, a goat that is sent away. And the word Azazel refers simply to the goat. We don't know exactly for sure. And I'm not going to enter into those debates, but the end is clear that this goat is to be sent outside of the camp, into the wilderness, into the desolate places, away from God's people, away from God's dwelling in the tabernacle, away from where God comes to his people into the place that is uninhabitable, into the place where symbolically God is not dwelling. It was sent away. And so this goat expiates the sins of the people. This goat is a visible, tangible lesson to Israel. This is what's happening to your sins. The priest, the one who's appointed for this task, the priest is taking this goat who bears all of your sins, taking it outside of the camp. Or as we sang Psalm 103, which you may know, as far as the east is from the west, he's sending it outside of the camp, sending it far away. And you and these sins are completely, utterly, radically taken away from the people of God. And the exclamation point in Leviticus 16 comes really at verse 30 where it says, for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. What a wonderful thing to have this visible ceremony up there where you see the one goat who dies satisfying God's wrath and this other goat is sent away into the wilderness. Your sins are atoned for. Your sins are taken away. You no longer bear the responsibility for your own sins because they've been imputed to this goat. Goat. What a wonderful tactile reminder of God's grace year after year for God's people. Your sin is paid for, your sin is removed. And of course, it wasn't just in the act of doing this, it's, as we said over and over. It's not simply in the act of going through the motions that people were cleansed of their sins, that people were forgiven, that people were justified. How were they justified? Justified by looking. God's promises, looking to the one who would come and be the ultimate fulfillment of this, of trusting in God, looking to him in faith. And so all of this was to grow the faith of the Israelites, to say, look, in God's appointed sacrifice, these goats aren't really forgiving anybody's sins. They can't really take away anybody's sins, but they demonstrate for you the one who will, the one who can, the God who rescues his people, the God who justifies Brings his people into communion with him. As we saw last, as, as I mentioned last time, one commentator says that the Day of Atonement is the Old Testament Good Friday. The Good Friday of Jesus Christ dying on the cross is the ultimate fulfillment of this Day of Atonement, is it not? This is pointing us to the one who he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Our sins were removed from us and placed upon that man on the cross. They were expiated from us. Our sins are no longer on our shoulders because of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we read earlier? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, the father made Jesus Christ to be sin who knew no sin. And more specifically, to be our sin, who knew no sin, that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. It is Jesus Christ, who in the Old Testament, it took two goats to demonstrate the full picture. And the one man, Jesus Christ, we see both of these realities of propitiation and expiation come clearly into focus as he hangs on the cross for us. They're on the cross as Jesus died the wrath of God is satisfied. For every sin of you and me on him was laid. It's no longer on your shoulders. It's on the man who died at Calvary. The greater goat, the greater lamb, the greater offering, Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting what the people of Israel are called to do on this day. We read it verse 29 and later it says it twice. The people of Israel are called to afflict themselves. This isn't some weird ceremony they're supposed to do. It simply means to fast. They're to fast. They're to contemplate their sins. They're to repent. They're to remember their their humble state before God. Cultivate humility. To know their state as sinners and their need of a savior. And so God uses this moment. He says, afflict yourself Fast. Prepare yourself for what you're about to see because you can't just receive this ceremony, receive my, my grace flippantly. But prepare, be ready. Receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone as he is offered in the gospel. And you can only do that by knowing you are a sinner, by knowing what happened to that goat is what ha- should happen to me. I should be on the altar paying the penalty for my sins. I should be sent outside of the camp to the place of utter desolation, a place that symbolically depicts evil and not the presence of God. That's where I should be. I know my sin. But I know a greater Savior. What, how astounding it is that these deep, these rich realities of salvation of justification are displayed in these images of goats, of all things. But God, for years after years and years and years, was depicting to Israel, my grace for you is sufficient. My sacri- I will provide a sacrifice for you. You are justified in my presence, not because of what you've done, but because of my grace. And we see that most clearly now in Jesus Christ that we are justified through his work of a substitutionary sacrifice, a sacrifice on our behalf. We see both propitiation, God's demands of justice are satisfied on that cross where the eternal son of God who took on human flesh died in our stead. We also see expiation. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, placed upon Christ where they are paid for. How can we not rejoice in that? How can that not How can this not lead us to, to leaping and praising our great God? How can this not propel us as it ought to, to love and good works, to love our neighbor? Now we can go into a week with our callings of caring for our families, of, of going to the job site, whatever it is, you are justified before God and now you're free to love your neighbor. Not to earn anything, but because you've been shown a greater love, what a joy. The day of atonement, you are justified. You stand righteous before God because of the work of Christ. Let us rejoice in him all the more day by day, reflecting on these mercies and let us turn to love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this is astounding that you would send such a sacrifice for us that your son would bear the weight of our sin on his shoulders. And now that we can commune with you, we praise you, Lord. There are not words to express the joy and gratitude that is in our hearts for our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord, receive our lives as an offering to you. Every moment of every day, may your spirit equip us to do what is right and pleasing in your sight. Father, we love you. And we are thankful for all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. In his great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.